Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today we feature John Stott, born in 1921. He was well known throughout the world for his writings and godly influence in the global church. He was an honorary chaplain to the Queen from 1959 to 1991. Stott passed away July 27, 2011. John Stott was a pastor to pastors, a servant of the global church, and an author of more than 50 books. He dedicated his life and earnings to seed and grow the ministry of Langham Partnership. Today, John Stott presents a study on daily renewal based on 2 Corinthians 4.16. It was recorded on August 8, 1982. We're continuing then this morning the theme of August, uh, day by day. It seems to be part of our constitutional makeup that we want to settle things and settle issues once and for all and forever. None of us finds it easy to live with uncertainty or to live with tension. And whenever a decision has to be made, for example, however indecisive we may be by temperament, it is an enormous relief to get the thing done, uh, over and done with. So it is uh, that some Christians seek and even claim a once-for-all spiritual experience which appears to relieve them of the necessity of further growth or further dependence upon daily grace. There are others who look back to their baptism and their confirmation in a somewhat similar way. There are others in a different context who have that attitude towards their marriage, don't see any need to keep working at their relationship. Well, my theme throughout the month is that God calls us to live day by day by day by day. And that as in Old Testament days, he provided a fresh supply of manna every morning to the children of Israel in the desert, so that the manna had to be gathered every day, and none was to be kept overnight until tomorrow, for it bred worms and stank. That's all in Exodus 16. So God offers us, us fresh supplies of grace every day that we have to gather and receive. Our failure to recognize this elementary truth about biblical Christianity is a major cause of spiritual complacency and therefore of spiritual slackness and therefore of spiritual stagnation. Now, of course, I do not want to be misunderstood. There are certain things that God has done once and for all and forever. Christ died for our sins once and for all. He rose again from the dead once and for all and ascended into heaven. He has sent the Holy Spirit once and for all. God has established his covenant with us once and for all and sealed it to us in our baptism once and for all. God has adopted us into his family through Christ and made us his children and put his Holy Spirit within us once and for all. But now he calls us to live as his children from day to day. 
looking to him expectantly for the grace we need. So far then, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, daily grace, and last week at daily worship, and today, as you know, it's daily renewal. And I'd like to ask you to take your Bible, if you kindly will, and turn to page 170 in the New Testament section, the passage that uh, David Trapnell read as the second lesson. The second letter to the Corinthians, page 170, page uh, chapter 4, and I read as our text, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. <clears throat> it's a wonderful text. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away or decaying, our inner nature is being renewed every day. You'll notice, won't you, how the Apostle begins the verse, the old King James Version said, we faint not. The Revised Standard Version and the New English Bible say, we do not lose heart. J.B. Phillips, in one of the occasions in which this phrase comes, translates it, nothing can daunt us. And the Good News Bible has it, we never become discouraged. Oh, but the trouble is, we do. And discouragement is one of the chief occupational hazards of men and women who are engaged actively in the service of Jesus Christ. Opposition from enemies of the gospel may be cruel, and even fierce. In some parts of the world it takes a physical form when people are imprisoned and tortured and even killed for the faith. Not in our country, thank God, but there is instead opposition in the form of scorn, the haughtily dismissive way in which people refer to our most precious Christian faith. Or they may engage in a smear campaign, as they did in Paul's day, accusing him of vacillation and changing his mind, saying he'd come to Corinth and then not turning up, etc. Or if you're a Christian worker of some kind, you may find the people you are seeking to serve to be apathetic, to be hard-hearted, to be blind to the truth that you are seeking to teach. And that is a problem to which Paul refers in this very chapter. He speaks of the blindness of unbelievers. He speaks in the previous chapter of a veil that is over their minds. And that is greatly discouraging to those who are trying to teach them when they can't see. And then sometimes we get lonely or tired or disheartened and we're tempted to throw in the towel and give it all up. So twice in this chapter, in verse 1 and in verse 16, Paul repeats the same sentence, we refuse to become dispirited. We are of good heart. We refuse to lose heart. And on the contrary, although our outward nature is wasting away, we have a secret of daily inward renewal. Well, you will have noticed again in the second part of my text 
that he draws a contrast between the outward man or the outward being and the inward being, like between the physical part of us and the spiritual part of us, or roughly speaking, if you like, between our body and our soul. Now the former, that is the outward and the physical part of us, is decaying. We may find it difficult to come to terms with that reality, but it is a reality with which we'd better come to terms. There is a built-in obsolescence in the human body and brain, and we are decaying. But the latter, that is the inward and spiritual part of us, is being renewed. In the Greek sentence, both those verbs are in the present continuous tense, because both processes, both the outer decay and the inner renewal, are going on continuously, or ought to be. The former is. It's unavoidable. It's a fact, this built-in obsolescence. It's the inner renewal which is not inevitable. It has to be sought and it has to be cultivated. Indeed, inner renewal is all the more necessary and becomes all the more obvious because of our outward physical decay. This theme, the contrast between the inward and the outward, or between inner renewal and outward decay, is a common theme in the Corinthian correspondence. Paul refers to it on many occasions in both his first and second letters to the Corinthians. And in this very chapter, 2 Corinthians 4, he gives three examples of the same principle to which I would like now to draw your attention. The first one I'm going to call power through weakness. And it comes in verse 7. We have this treasure, which David Trapnell rightly said is the gospel in earthen vessels, which are our frail and fragile bodies. And this great treasure, this glory of the gospel, is in fragile vessels in order to show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. Again, Paul draws a clear distinction between his body in its frailty and the gospel which has shone into his heart and has been committed to him. He himself is like an earthenware vessel or maybe a bit more vivid, it's like a clay pot. Nothing much to look at Nothing much to write home about. Cheap, brittle, fragile, a clay pot. Ah, but the clay pot is the bearer of the light of the gospel. Maybe the kind of clay pot he's thinking about is an old-fashioned lamp, rather like the ones we're accustomed to seeing uh, Florence Nightingale carrying. Uh, Just an old clay pot, but inside is the oil and the light that flickers from the clay pot. So you can drop the the pot and it'll it'll, uh, break into smithereens, but the light is what matters, and the clay pot carries the light. So then, what Paul is saying is that it's not necessarily talented and self-confident people that God blesses. It's often the weak, the shy, the diffident, and the ordinary. In fact, Paul says, God deliberately puts his light into clay pot lamps in order to show clearly that the power is his 
and not ours. Paul knew this, of course, in his own life. Apart from physical persecution, beatings and stonings, and apart from hardships like arduous journeys across a mountain and desert and uh, shipwrecks, he suffered from some physical infirmity. We don't know what it was, and there are all sorts of conjectures, and it doesn't really matter. But in chapter 12 of this same letter, he likens it to a thorn or a stake, as the word may mean, in his flesh. And it's a thorn in the flesh or a stake in the flesh because it causes him a great deal of discomfort and even continuous pain. So, Paul tells us in chapter 12 that three times he begged the Lord Jesus to rid him of it. But instead of ridding him of this physical infirmity, whatever it was, Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And when Jesus said that to Paul, Paul commented, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my weaknesses, in order that the power of Christ may rest upon me, because it's when I'm weak that I am strong. Now, brother or sister, I want to ask if you have learned that lesson. God's power is displayed better in our weaknesses than in our strengths. And sometimes we cry to him to take away from us some psychological or physical infirmity, and he says to us, as he says to Paul, but no, my strength is perfected in your weakness, and his, my grace is sufficient for you. And we need to learn to glory in our weakness that his strength may rest upon us. That's the first illustration of the principle, power through weakness. The second, it's the same thing in different terms, is life through death. Verses 10 and 11. Paul is not referring here to what we call life after death. He's not thinking of uh, our physical death as the gateway to new life in heaven, true as that is. That's not what he's referring to. He's not even referring mainly to escapes from death, although he refers to them in this letter, rather like the one in the first missionary journey in Lystra. Do you remember when he was stoned? And then when they thought he was a goner, they dragged him out of the city and left him in the gutter for dead but he popped up again. And how he dragged his poor, battered and bleeding body from Lystra on to Iconium, I don't, or on to Derby, I don't know, but he did. Uh, but he's not referring to these escapes from death. He is referring to something else, a continuous experience that he can only describe as the dying of Jesus a continuous experience of pain and suffering and rejection and self-denial. So look at verse 10. He says, we're always, not just sometimes, but all the time, carrying in our bodies the death, or as the Greek probably means, the dying of Jesus. And again, verse 11, we are always, notice the repetition of the adverb, it's going on all the time, we're being delivered unto death for the sake of Jesus. And then both verses 
continue, the second part of both verses, in almost identical terms, indicating the reason why God permits us to have this experience of continuing dying with Jesus. Verse 10, we're always carrying in our bodies the dying of Jesus in order that also the life of Jesus may be manifest now in our mortal, fragile bodies. And again, verse 11, we are always being delivered up to death for the sake of Jesus in order that also the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So, verse 10, death is at work in us in order that life also, I'm expanding a little bit, may work in us and may spill over into you. I wonder again if we've learned that. Do you sometimes feel your mortality? I've uh, recently reached uh, the age in which it's very important to come to terms with one's mortality. And it's very important for people who are middle-aged or bordering on the elderly or elderly to come to terms with our mortality. We sense that our natural force is beginning to abate. The powers of our mind and body are no longer what they used to be. We feel our mortality. We feel we're moribund. We're not dead yet, thank God, but on the way there. <laughs> there is a sense in which uh, we are carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. But even in that situation, the life of Jesus can be manifest in our mortal body. We can have an inward vigor an inward vitality that shines through even a frail and moribund body. So, God's power is displayed in weakness and the life of Jesus in our mortality, in our dying. And then the third uh, illustration of the same principle comes to our text, verse 16, which is renewal through decay. We're not just weak, so that the power of God can be seen in us. We're not just moribund, so that the life of Jesus needs to be manifest in us. We're also decaying. The Greek literally is we are being destroyed. The verb is used in secular Greek of perishable goods that are ruined by damp or something else. It's used of iron that is corroded by rust. It's used of clothing that is spoiled by moth. It's used of starving bodies that are wasting away, and it's used of the corruption of the body of the corpse when it is dead. Decay. Now, decay is a characteristic of the whole created order. Nature outside us and our own bodies. Paul writes about it in Romans 8, verse 21. He describes the whole creation as in bondage to decay, and uses uh, almost an identical word. He says that nature, the creation, in bondage to decay, is groaning in travail, that is seeking through these labor pains to bring to birth a new universe that God is going to create one day, a new heaven and a new earth. And as nature is groaning in travail, so are we. We who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit being the first fruits of the new creation, we also know what it is to groan. 
We groan inwardly because of our infirmities and we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And one day we know the creation is going to be liberated from its bondage to decay and it's going to experience the liberty of the glory of the children of God. And there will be no more decay, no more pain, and no more suffering, and no more death. But even before that final liberation, Paul says, and while change and decay all around we see, we can experience a daily inward renewal. Outward decay and inward renewal can proceed simultaneously. Now, have you got those three things? They're very plain in the text in 2 Corinthians 4. Power through weakness, life through death, renewal through decay. The supreme historical example of this principle, according to the New Testament, is not Paul in his sufferings and his missionary journeys, It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection was the most conspicuous act of God's power and the putting forth of his life and of renewal out of decay. So Paul could pray that our eyes might be opened to see the exceeding greatness of God's power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It was a conspicuous Conspicuous example of power in weakness. Can you imagine anything weaker than a corpse? The body of Jesus lay lifeless on the ledge in the tomb. Until God's power raised it from the dead. Power through weakness. Life in death. Renewal out of decay. The supreme historical example of this principle is the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the supreme personal illustration in our own experience of the same principle will be our resurrection from the dead. Not surprising that Paul writes of it here. He can hardly refrain from doing so. Look at verse 14. He says, We know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. And he goes on to write about it in chapter 5, about how we're groaning and sighing in this present body, longing to be clothed upon with a new body when our mortality will be swallowed up in life. So the supreme illustration for us is going to be our resurrection. But meanwhile, Between those two resurrections, his and ours, we don't live in a spiritual vacuum. In the interim period between the two resurrections, his when the new creation began and ours when the new creation will be consummated, you know what we ought to be experiencing? The power of his resurrection. That's what the New Testament says again and again. The resurrection power of Jesus has already been let loose in the world. Already, if we're in Christ, we've been raised with him and made to sit with him in heavenly places. Already, God's power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us who believe, Ephesians 1. 
Already we can pray with Paul, Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Already we have the gospel treasure in clay pots in order that the transcendent power may be seen to be his and not ours. Already the life of Jesus is being manifest in our mortal bodies. Already in the midst of outward decay, there is inward renewal by the power of the resurrection. Now, it's very important to understand that renewal is resurrection power. The daily inward renewal that Christian people should be experiencing is a foretaste of the resurrection. Inward renewal is, re is renewal by the power of the resurrection. Now let me apply this as I conclude. I'm confident as I have been praying and preparing for this morning that there is somebody, maybe several people, for whom God designs this message from his word this morning. I wonder if there is somebody here who is a Christian worker, you're on furlough, on vacation, on holiday, you may be a pastor, you may be a missionary, you may be an evangelist, you may be uh, a Sunday school teacher, you may be an elder, a deacon in your church, and frankly you come to church this morning and you are deeply discouraged. The people you seek to serve are resistant and unappreciative. Or perhaps you have inferiority feelings and a very low self-image and a very low sense of self-worth. Oh, you keep saying to yourself, you lack any conspicuous gifts and abilities, you're just an old clay pot. Thank God you are. Why, you're just the person God is looking for. It's old clay pots he needs. It's in the old clay pots that his power is to be put forth so that it may be clear that the transcendent power is his and not yours. I beg you, don't lose heart. You're just the person in whom his power can yet be displayed. Or maybe there's somebody else here and physically you're under the weather through illness or overwork. You're not as young as you were, which being interpreted means you're getting old. And you're aware of your mortality. You discovered that you're moribund. Again, I want to say to you, so am I. Don't lose heart. The life of Jesus can be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Or again, there's somebody else here. And you're just busy. That's all, really. In the shop, in the office, in the hospital, college, school, in the home, your work is never done, everything gets on top of you, and it's seriously affecting your health. I want to say again, don't lose heart. You may feel this outward decay, but you can experience an inward renewal. So I finish by asking, how can it happen? Well, our first lesson told us, it's those who wait upon the Lord who renew their strength strength. They mount up with wings like eagles. They run and don't grow weary. They walk and they don't grow faint. Waiting on God means expressing our dependence on him, especially in daily prayer. 
I'm almost embarrassed that I have to bring to you such a traditional remedy for our ills. But all down the ages, generation after generation, God's people have proved and experienced that there is no substitute for prayer. Or scripture meditation, because they go together in the daily quiet time. Without that, we shall never renew our strength. The great secret of inward renewal day by day. I read in Christianity Today, the American uh, uh, journal, uh, a short while ago, an interview with Dr. Frank Gabeline, uh, one of the grand old men of the evangelical constituency in the United States, who for 41 years was headmaster of Stony Brook School on Long Island. And he's now an octogenarian, and he was asked, what counsel would you wish to pass on to the next generation of Christian leaders? And Dr. Frank Gabeline replied, maintain at all costs a daily time of scripture reading and prayer. And as I look back over my 80 years, he says, the most formative influence in my life and thought has been my daily contact with scripture in prayer. Oh, God, enable us to learn that lesson. It's when we meet him every day and wait upon him that we renew our strength. We need then to humble ourselves before God daily, admit our weakness, our frailty, our mortality, our decay. But then and then only his power will be made perfect in our weakness. Then and then only the life of Jesus will be manifest in our mortal flesh. Then and then only in the midst of physical decay, feeling tired, bruised, battered, ready to give up, our inward being is renewed day by day by day. God grant it for all of us. Let us pray. Just a moment in which to confess to God our Weakness, our mortality, our decay, our need of his power and life and renewal. Let's humble ourselves for a moment. Behold us, Heavenly Father, as a thousand clay pots. Not much to look at, not much to write home about. Weak, fragile, brittle, and we just want to thank you together that it's in vessels like these that you can put forth and demonstrate your power. May your power be made perfect in our weakness and the life of Jesus manifest in our bodies. Grant us in the midst of decay this daily inward and spiritual renewal. For the glory of your great name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to John Stott. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.